Hello, Ashley Posen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Posey. In fact, we are getting close to the end of this particular series before we jump into uh, something new. And so right now we have been studying this woman named Lydia. We've been looking now in the New Testament. We're in the book of Acts, looking at the expansion of the church as Christ has ascended, as he has now commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of every nation and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're seeing that expansion take place now. And what's amazing to me is Jesus was not through using women. He is not used to, uh, through using women to this day, but we get to see how he used different women to expand the kingdom of God on this earth. And one such woman was has the name of Lydia. And that's who we were studying last week. And so I want us to pick up where we left off to remember what was going on here. Now, we talked about the fact that God pursues each one of us, that he pursues us relentlessly. And I love the fact that through Lydia, we get to see an example of God reaching out in his love and in his power, of him readying our hearts to receive the message. And then we get to see the choice of our response to the gospel. And we're seeing that through the life of Lydia today. God has been reaching out to her. He is um, pursuing her. He's calling to her. And one of the ways that he did this, it's so neat to me, as Paul is on his missionary journey, he is trying to go into these different areas. And in fact, he tried to go into Lydia's home town, her home uh, area, her birthplace of Thyatira. And he tried to go there. And yet the Holy Spirit shut the door, said, no, you may not enter here. And God kept blocking him on every path. And then all of a sudden, if you remember, he received a vision of a man from Macedonia calling to him saying, come to us, help us. And so Paul responds to that, knowing that that's the word from the Lord. And so he heads over to Macedonia. Now, what we know behind the scenes is it was not, in fact, a man calling out to him. It was actually a group of women gathered together in a prayer meeting, crying out to God to to show himself to them, that they may know him. And so God is sending Paul straight to this woman, Lydia. That's how desperately he pursues us. He will make sure to uh, create the events necessary to lead us to him. And so he blocked Paul in numerous different ways and in different cities. Also, he could get him to the area of Philippi to meet this woman named Lydia. So I just wanted you to remember that. It's amazing to me. So Paul heads over to, to Macedonia. Of course, his first stop is Philippi. And he enters into the town expecting to find a man who is in need of, of help, spiritual help. But instead, of course, he doesn't find any group of men. He, he doesn't go to a synagogue because at this particular area, there were not enough men to create a synagogue. So there is no group of men there for him to go meet. Instead, he goes down to the river and finds a group of women, a group of women who are praying together. Now you have to remember in Philippi, there had been signs marked up around the outsides of the city. Archaeologists have found these that say there are there were no unrecognized religions allowed to come into Philippi. Now this was, of course, upon pain of imprisonment and even death. No unrecognized religion was allowed to enter into the city. 
And of course, that would include Christianity because it had not yet reached this far. And so Paul ends up going to the river outside the city to meet with the people there. And of course, who he finds, as we read the end of verse 13, um, because it says, or we'll just start at at 13, it says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. Now, we talked about her just a little bit at the end of last week. She was named, of course, after her homeland of Lydia, of which Thyatira is the capital. Now, listen to what it says next. So Lydia is there, and it says she's listening. She's a part of this prayer meeting, and Paul begins to speak to her, to one of the women listening there, and her name was Lydia. It says this. It describes her next. It says she is a dealer in purple cloth. Now, for a lot of us, we go, okay, well, what does that you know, mean? Is that really necessary to, to tell us that point there? But it's important for us to understand that she was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, here's the, here's the thing with this. Thyatira, where she is from, was the headquarters for purple dye. It was the headquarters for making this purple cloth. That's where she was from. She would have grown up around it and with it. Perhaps her, her father had started the business, but this was the business that she was in, creating purple cloth from this purple dye found in her hometown. Now, this purple cloth that she made and that she was a dealer in, that she sold, it was expensive. It was desirable. We have to understand something. This was sold only to the nobility and the royalty. In other words, the rich and famous. That's who she dealt with. That's where where, um, her clients came from. And so she is this dealer or the seller of purple cloth. What that says to us is she is a woman of great means. She has got money. She owns her business and she makes most of her dealings in Philippi, where she is. It is no doubt that she would go back and forth between Thyatira and Philippi, but this was her business. They loved their purple cloth and it was desirable. Um, in fact, the Bible mentions it many different times. Um, this purple cloth that people, that was so sought after. It's so funny when I think about it, though, I have just maybe a different reaction to the color purple. I don't know. In our day and time, we may not understand it as much, but um I'll never forget this last Christmas, my husband had bought me this gift. It was so precious of him to do it, but he had purchased this North Face jacket for me. It was all wrapped up in a gift box and I opened it, but I kid you not, I want to tell you this. I opened the box and it was such a vibrant, fluorescent light of purple streaming back at me. It was almost just like this rainbow of purple um, shot out of the box. It was so vibrant. It was so, so purple. It was so purple um, that I just, you know, I just smiled immediately and oh my goodness. And, you know, just, you know, took it out in this whole thing. I mean, there was no other color but purple on this cloth. And, um, and I just started smiling and I thank him for it. You know, this is so sweet. Thank you so much for the thought of doing this. Now, immediately he must've uh, recognized <laughs> my reaction because he said, you know, honey, that was the only color left. And he goes, I know you like purple. And I do. I'm just going to clarify that I do like purple. But this this was like otherworldly purple. And I just kept thinking, you know, if I wear this thing, I am going to be a beacon of maybe the wrong kind of light everywhere I go. And so I'm just looking at this, but I said, you know, it's just so sweet. And he pulls out the receipt immediately. And he goes, you know what, let's have some fun. And tomorrow go exchange it and go shopping. He was so, so sweet. I ended up getting a couple great pair of pants out of the deal. It was beautiful. But they had a whole different thought to this color of purple. And, you know, they might have saw something like that and thought, oh my gosh, I've got to wear this. You know, it, it's crazy. But this was so desirable that it made the sellers of this cloth very, very wealthy, very 
very rich. They sought after it, kind of unlike myself, I guess. So Lydia was a woman of means. She had her own house, her own household in Philippi. She was the head of it. So it kind of shares, uh, it tells us, shares with us uh, the position that she holds within this community. Now, I say this because it's going to become important as we see what she does with what she has. But she's got her house in her household. I want us to note something here. She has no outside need for anything. I want us to get that. She is not in need monetarily or physically. This is important because oftentimes we think, you know, the people who are in need physically, the people who are in need financially, they will be the ones to seek Christ and to seek God. And sometimes that is the case, you know, but she was not in a place where she was seeking God in order for him to provide for her physically, in order for him to provide for her financially. She had what she needed in that area. But can I just say something? Something was still missing from her life. You see, she had what she needed physically, financially. That's not why she was seeking God. Why she was seeking him is because there was still something missing. She knew she did not have uh, this hole within her field, this vacuum that the Bible describes to us that, that we were created with, that only God can fill. She was searching. She was still searching because something was missing. And she was searching and seeking something that only God could fill. And there was something about this particular God of the Hebrew people that drew her. You see, she was reaching out to know this God who had parted the sea. Those women would have told her the stories that they knew about this Hebrew God, that he had parted the Red Sea, that he had provided food from heaven, that he caused the walls of Jericho to come crumbling down. This God who had promised a Messiah who was going to save and rule his people forever. This God who had, had promised eternal life in him. She was, and I want you to read this next descriptor of her in verse 14. So she was not only a dealer in purple cloth. It finishes this way. It says she was a worshiper of God. Now I want us to understand what this word worshiper means. It means to feel an awe towards, to revere. It actually means religious. I want us to pay attention to that. You see, she was a worshiper of God at this time. She had an awe towards him. She revered him. She was religious. You see, at this point... She was a religious person, not a redeemed person. Can I just say that to somebody today? She was a religious person. She was not yet a redeemed person. You see, we can, we can be religious. We can revere God. We can say, you know, I know there is a God out there. Yes, I believe that a God exists. I believe God exists. We can be uh, religious in the fact that we attend church occasionally or when we can, or we, we have Christian friends. Yeah, we, we stand in awe of the fact that we believe that there is God in the universe. And yet being religious does not mean we are redeemed. You see, that redemption happens when we make the choice to bow our knee to Jesus Christ, when we come under the lordship of him, when we confess our sins and say, Jesus, I need you. You are the only one who can save me. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again. Lord, come into my life, change my life, make me like you, lead me. At that time, something changes and we go from being a religious person to a redeemed person. At this point of Lydia's search though for the Lord, she is religious, but she is not yet redeemed. We're going to see the difference. Now, don't miss this next part. It says this, the Lord, again, in verse 14, carrying on, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This word to open, we've got to pay attention to it here because it's really neat. This word open in the Greek, it means to open thoroughly, to open through like a channel. Listen to this part. It means to open through like a channel as if a firstborn, as of a firstborn. Did you, did you hear this? Especially women, you're going to understand this. When it says God opened her heart, he literally opened it as when he opens a womb of a woman and so a child can be born. This is important because like a channel, God was readying her heart to open in preparation for new birth in order to be born again. He was readying her heart to be opened up to new birth in Jesus Christ because we know that anyone who accepts him is born again born through the spirit. And so he opened her heart. Listen to the next part. He opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, to respond to Paul's message. This word respond, it means attend to, which means this, to hold the mind toward, to apply oneself to, to adhere to. It suggests a devotion now of thought and effort and heart. You see, he opened up her heart in order to receive, to attend to, and to respond to the message of the gospel, that she would now apply herself to it, adhere to it, devote her thoughts, her heart, her efforts to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, I love what John six forty four says. It says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That word draws, I love that. It's the same as used in John 18, 10, when Peter draws his sword or in John 21, 6, where the fishermen draw in their net. You see the net or the sword in both of those instances had no part in the drawing. They were simply drawn. The same is true of us. God is the one who draws us. We get the choice of our response to him. We are drawn. God reaches out to us. He readies our heart to receive the message. Just like God opened Lydia's heart to hear and respond to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. He prepared her heart to respond in faith to hearing the word of God. Can I just tell you this morning, he has either done the same thing in your life or he is doing the same thing in your life right now. How has he readied your heart to receive his word, to receive the gospel? Like we've been talking about, he reached out to Lydia. He saw her all the way in Philippi. Can I tell you something? God sees where you are right now. He knows where you are and he already sees you walking in the calling he has for you. Do you know that? He knows where you are, but he sees you already walking in your calling. He knew, Lydia, that she was in Philippi. He went to great lengths to send Paul straight to her. She would be the first person Paul meets and shares the gospel with in Philippi, in this area of Europe. And it's amazing to me what he does. So he reaches out to her. He readies her heart. He opens it to respond. That's all the work of God in us. And then we get the choice to respond. You see, after he readies our heart, the ball, so to speak, is in our court. We have the choice to respond and our response is going to be the proof that our life has changed from being rebellious or religious to redeemed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We can be religious. We can be rebellious. But when we have made the choice to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be redeemed. Because when a life receives the saving message of Jesus, there is always a recognizable response to that redemption. 
I'm going to say that again. If you receive Jesus Christ, there will always be a recognizable response to that redemption. I want us to see how Lydia responded right now. Right after this, we're going to pick up right where we left off. Reading in verse 15, it says this, when she and the members of her household were baptized. Did you listen to that? When she and the member of her household were baptized, do you know the first thing she did? As soon as she received the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, she immediately led her whole household to Christ and they were all baptized in obedience to Jesus's command. He tells us to believe and to be baptized and they were. And she immediately led her whole household to Christ, and they were all baptized. She now had an entire Christian home. You talk about a woman of influence. She was ready to go when she received Christ, and you're going to see a recognizable response in her immediately where she gives all that she has, everything. Let's keep going, and we'll see that. So immediately, that fire within her, she turned around, and she shared with her entire household that they must be saved. There is no other name by which we must be saved than that of Jesus Christ. And so they were all saved and baptized. And listen to this. It says, then she invited us to her home. She opens up her home to them. She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I told you she is a woman of influence. She persuaded Paul and Luke and Silas. And so they all come, his entire traveling companions, come and stay at her home. She immediately used all she had, everything God had given her, materially, her home. Very soon, we're going to find out even monetarily, as well as her giftings, her hospitality, her giftings of a hostess, her influence, her position, all to expand the kingdom, all to add to the church that Jesus was building. Now, we might be tempted to sit there and say, well, you know, she had all this money and wealth and influence and position. Of course, it was easy for her to respond in this way. But I'm going to tell you, don't think that way for a second. Don't think this was easy. If you continue on and you read the rest of chapter 16, you're going to find out what happened immediately after Paul and Silas and Luke and all of his companions took up residence at her home. They went out and began sharing the word in the city of Philippi, knowing that it was prohibited to do so. And sure enough, after they had cast out a demon of a slave girl, they were sent to prison. They were put into the stocks. They were flogged and beaten. They were going to be awaiting uh, orders, knowing that they were most likely going to be put to death. They are in this jail. And of course, we know the miraculous story at the end of this. The Philippian jailer came to know Jesus Christ and was saved. And and Paul and the rest of his uh, companions were released. It was amazing, but I want you to think about what was going on with Lydia at the time. She was a brand new baby believer. She had just started knowing Jesus, and here she's watching her leaders become imprisoned, beaten, severely flogged with the possibility of losing their life. You have to understand something. This would have been very scary for her. She had a choice of faith or fear at this moment. This would have been bad for business for her, that she was supporting and housing not only them, but the entire church. Don't think this was easy for her. And yet she so loved her Lord and Savior. She gave it all for him. Whatever he'd given her, money, her home, her influence, her position, she had them stay with her. And then check this out. She began to house the first church in Europe. It's incredible. If you jump to the very end of chapter 16, the last verse after it's in verse 40, it says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and the sisters and they encouraged them there. And then they left. It's incredible. Her home became the first home, the first church in Europe. It's so amazing to me. 
And not only that, but her influence continued. You see, after Paul left, he went to Thessalonica and he later wrote to this church in Philippi, to Lydia's church, the church that God enabled her to start in her home. And he wrote to them and he told them how amazing their generosity had been. You see, the, the Philippians were the most generous of all the churches. He actually talks about it in chapter four. I encourage you to read that and to check that out. But he tells them that out of every church, they are the only ones who actually sent any kind of monetary gifts. And he told them, you know, you sent me aid when nobody else did, when I was in need. And he tells them, May God meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Lydia showed them a beautiful example right off the bat of what it meant to give to the expansion of the kingdom of God. And that is what she did. She gave them this example. And through her example, the church in Philippi began to be the most generous church that Paul would encounter. They supplied all of his needs. He actually ended up telling them in Philippians chapter four, I encourage you to read it. I have abundantly above more than what I could need all because of your gifts. This is what she did. I want to ask you today something that I ask myself quite often. What has been your recognizable response to receiving Christ? How have you used all God has given you to add to the church? Are we leaving our mark on the church that Jesus is building? Can I tell you something just amazing in our last few minutes here? My home was built on the love of Christ quite literally. And I'm just going to say this quickly. We, uh, a few years ago, decided to redo the floors of our home. Our home had been owned by one family before us, and they'd lived there a long time. Now, we we pulled up the old flooring because it was the old blue carpet. We pulled up the old flooring. We were going to redo all the floors, and we got down to the foundation of our house. And to our astonishment, can I tell you what we found? On the foundation of our home, in every room of our house, was written the Word of God. This family that came before us had two children. They had wrote all wrote their favorite Bible verses all over the foundation of our home. They wrote the dates of their children's birth in their children's bedrooms. They wrote the day that they received Christ. They wrote the date of their own marriage and their anniversary. And all around it, the kids and the parents wrote the Word of God on the foundation of our home. We have heard from so many people in the community what an incredible family of God they were and how they were so useful to the kingdom of God. It was so, it was such a blessing to us to find that out. We were so overjoyed to know the foundation of what our house had been built on. You know what we did? Before we laid the new foundation down on our floors, we went, because they had put their handprints on the foundation of the floor. They literally had uh, drawn out their handprints of each member of the family next to their favorite Bible verses. We went and we put our own handprints right next to theirs on the foundation of the floor. We drew our hand next to the mom and the dad and the two children. We have two children as well. And our children began writing their favorite Bible verses on the floor next to those who had gone before us. My husband and I wrote down our anniversary date and began writing our favorite Bible verses down on our floor. And we were able to put the new flooring down knowing that our house is built on the love and faith of Jesus Christ. Family by family, we are leaving a mark on this world for the church that Jesus is building. I want to ask us today, what way are you helping to build his church and further his kingdom? We are called to live like Lydia. As God reaches out for us, reach back, receive the message and respond. Respond by using what God has given you for his glory. Not what God gave somebody else, but what God gave you. 
I want to close with these two scriptures, one from Ephesians and one from 1 Peter. Ephesians chapter 2 says this starting in verse 19. You'll understand why my house situation was so precious to us. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreign foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Listen to this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We are being built on the foundation of those who have gone before us. Every woman we've studied, all the apostles, Lydia herself, they have all added their handprints to the house that Jesus is building. It says Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This is his church. He's building it one person at a time. We are each one of us leaving our handprint on the church that Jesus is building. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. First Peter says this. I love this in, in verse four of chapter one. It says, as you come to him, the living stone who was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Each one of us is the next living stone being added to the building, the church of Jesus Christ that he is forming. I want to ask you today, how are you leaving your handprint? on this church that Christ is being is building. It's built on those who have gone before us. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and we are the next stones being added to it. Let's live like Lydia and leave a lasting legacy for the kingdom of God. Amen.